Hello everyone, we are the MI guys with IFIOC and we are here to help you improve the outcomes of the individuals, communities, organizations that you serve. And to help with that today, we have a topic for stages of change. And so there's a little bit of controversy in the motivational interviewing world around should you still still train on motivational interviewing and stages of change because they're two separate models. People have kind of conflated them, brought them together. So we're going to talk a little bit about that in a shorter podcast today and how you could use that to really meet someone where they're at because everyone likes to talk about that, but that doesn't mean it's always happening as we well know. So we'll just dive in with why would we even be talking about stages of change to begin with? So who would like to start us off? I, I'll dive into it in terms of when I was first learning motivational learning, the thing that was actually most helpful for me is really it was such a simple, straightforward concept. And I think because there's so much, on one hand, simplicity in MI, and then so much complexity, the more you learn about it, stages of change was a pretty easy concept to grasp. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, being the visual learner, visual teacher side of it, even when I started teaching it and using like pre-contemplation back here, it made sense to people. Mm-hmm. Anyone who had follow up and do office visits or consults, and they'd be staffing a case and it'd say, well, where are they at the stages of change? And everybody's hand would fly back here. So it's like, mm-hmm. it was such an, an easy way for people to grasp the concept. Then, And that was well accepted when I first started training, you know, almost 20 years ago. And then it started falling out of favor because people were confusing stages of change and thinking was MI. Um. Fundamentally, what I was thinking is it doesn't really matter all that much as long as people are learning motivational learning and how to affect behavior change. Yeah. Um, but there was enough kind of confusion between the two or that they were getting kind of smooshed together that there was this talk to, you know, lean a little bit away from it. The other thing that I think that was a key construct, and you might know about this as well too, John, is that we were focusing more on looking at how strategically responding to types of talk was more effective than being aware of stages of change. And so that was, as more research was coming out around how do we strategically respond to language, you know, the resistance talk, sustain talk, change talk, the more we paid attention to that, was stages of change really relevant? Was it necessary and was it gonna impact outcomes if people knew stages of change or didn't know stages of change? So that was, I think, a little bit of the the context of of where this conversation came into it. And, so. and, and part of that, too, is just what is more repeatable, reliable, predictable, and that is the types of language. So yeah. that's in, in the sciences. You can look to the strength of change talk and, and really point to outcomes being associated in a lot stronger way than stages of change. It's an incredible concept, Clemente, and, and, and the people that came out with it, it was incredible for the time. It's just not as precise and not as powerful mm-hmm. as, as associated with the outcomes. It doesn't mean, though, that you have helped me with this so much um, around learning from a naive or a walking into learning MI brain. It can be more intuitive, this stage of change, when you have a mnemonic learning device on how you talk about meet them where they're at. Sometimes types of talk is too concrete or too something for them versus stages of change, it really resonates and then they start using it and they start embracing MI through that as almost like a gateway. So it's, it really is kind of an interesting way to just approach MI even though it is a separate model, it just informs your MI. So. Well, and, and as you're talking about that, I, the other thing that I know is as we evolve the way we train motivation at IFIOC and shifted away from some of the acronyms and teaching from that perspective, what we looked at is 
assessing where the individual's thought process is at. And you can do that specifically with language, but it seemed really complex and overwhelming for people to get the language sometimes. It is mm -hmm. learning the types of language and how to strategically respond is not easy. I mean, it takes quite a bit of mindful listening to be able to do that, which is what a good MI is comprised of. But on the flip side as well, just being able to step back and generally understand, is this person more in pre-contemplation around this target behavior or their change process? Are they more in contemplation, have some ambivalence around that? It was easier to settle into that, and I think as you're learning on the learning curve, that's an easier construct to, to grasp and be able to, to riff off of and, and digest that. So we were looking at this is you can assess in general where is their thought process at, and then as you're getting sharper at that process, I can start to hone in on what's the specific language and see that correlation between some of the types of talk and where their brain is at. And so either way, if you can assess stages of change, there's ways to respond if they're pre-contemplation or in contemplation. And as you get more strategic, you can be able to pull out that specific language and then respond to the specific language effectively and strategically as well too. So this is why, again, it's not motivational interviewing but as kind of a construct that supports it. You know, and the other thing I think of is we talk about things like self-determination theory, self-affirmation theory, which are not motivational interviewing and are key constructs to understand it. So, mm -hmm. and those haven't fallen out of favor mm -hmm. in motivational interviewing mm -hmm. as much too. So I think when you think of like a trans theoretical model, like stages of changes, when you think of other theories that support behavior change and long-term um, behavior like that, those are things that I think, again, what is MI, what's not MI, pulling those things together strategically. And honestly, what I always think of is whatever help a participant learns, those are things that we should pay attention to. So mm -hmm. that's kind of the context about this I too. have two things here, and then I really want to hear from you too, Emmy, on this as well, kind of coming into it from the angle you did. Um, one is like, it can be thought of professionally very precisely. It could also be thought of in personal life very precisely, depending on, it doesn't matter what the conversation is, it just, it's so transcendent to different conversations right. that you can be aware of that mindful communication, we'll get right. the podcast on that. <laughs> um, but as we're thinking about uh, this, what, what came to mind with the professional side is this is also what we've worked on with some organizations around like documentation. You can, if people really resonate with stages of change, you can say, this person is in con uh, contemplation or pre-contemplation, as evidenced by yes. this kind of resistance talk language, blame, blame outside the self language, you know, therefore, or whatever, your MI intervention. In my world of healthcare, that's a very precise and delineated way of documenting your MI, for example. Right. And so there's ways to be um, not overly concrete, but you can be very concrete with that in a really helpful way that if someone picked up that and started working with that person, they'd know where they're at. And then there's on the other personal side, I, you know, I'm very aware of this all the time in conversations where there might be uh, a discrepancy in what I just said or what someone else just said of like, well, that's interesting because that doesn't seem to fit with that, but it's not helpful if I bring that up right. and they're not thinking about this thing about nutrition or whatever it is because they're just talking, they're just there to connect. If my target behavior is them being accurate about uh, this thing with, with the evidence, or something, then I know I'm gonna generate likely resistance. And so it's just all those constructs that be it personal or professional life, it can be really helpful to be aware. So I was wondering on your side of it, Tammy, coming in uh, from, from where you did, from the kind of business end, then also integrating this into your personal life, what's been your experience kind of walking in uh, to our approach of, of 
using stages of change versus maybe if it wasn't there? Well, I'm a little biased, obviously, because that's how I learned mm -hmm. originally. Well, actually, because originally we learned by reading a book. That's how it started, <laughs> and acronyms, but then we hired IFIOC to come train. Um, so the first part, I, you know, I, I really understand why we choose to include the stages of change, and it's so foreign to me why you wouldn't include it mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Because um, we did get stuck on at the very beginning, all the little acronyms and, um, you know, you'd, you'd start to recognize those things, but I didn't necessarily, I couldn't put it together as a big picture, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, oh yeah, I did that, yep, I did an or, or whatever right there. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then, but that's about it. Whereas like now, it's so much more simpler, I found it so much more simpler to start with stages of change. And then I kind of progressed to recognizing the different language heard to understand the stages of change. And it was just kind of progression of understanding the different um, levels of MI as I got better at the skill too. But, um, you know, at the very beginning, you're just learning a completely foreign concept. Right. To even think about, wait, at different times, people are in different stages of change. That's just a whole nother concept but in addition to that it makes complete sense to communicate in different ways during those stages of change because then you're able to understand you know like you you said there's no point in pointing out their differences if they're behind their head not even aware at that point mm -hmm. exactly so i mean you're just gonna like you said create resistance so mm -hmm. yeah well and and to that too there's there's literal textbooks on this, especially in healthcare, but I'm sure other professions as well, that right. say when someone's in pre-contemplation, educate, or some people like to confront or persuade, all these sorts of things that, that are taught to do when someone is not thinking about change. It does not mean that information cannot be helpful. It's how you go about facilitating insight. That's the intention. That's what we're really trying to see if there could be awareness or an oh crap or aha or yeah. something. But that does not mean if you're taking an MI spirit of, of non-judgment, unconditional positive regard, that does not mean that you should, as you, you so aptly teach uh, and taught us, is if you pull someone's hand from behind their head, if you're thinking of this uh, and listening to the audio, you're putting your head, hand behind your head and then you're pulling it to try to get some insight to see the pinky, what's the natural response? to pull back and so it's yeah. just it's so counterintuitive to what people actually get taught in the stages of change right. and then what to do with them too mm -hmm. so there's the awareness of the stages of change where someone's at and then well what do I do with that information mm -hmm. as well? you know and as you're talking about John and I think about it from a healthcare perspective or behavior healthcare perspective I think the thing why I still gravitate towards stages of change as well and you were talking about like the documentation is Tracking types of language with a specific target behavior is easier to do. But most professionals deal with so many complex behaviors in the same situation. So if we're just talking about smoking cessation, we can talk generally about stage of change, but you really want to look at where's their language if we're going to move forward with it. When you're talking about people that are homeless with multiple issues around poverty, mental health, addiction issues, Understanding where they're at in the stage of change 
for each target behavior mm -hmm. helps communicate with other professionals and to develop a more strategic approach to what do we want to focus on and where can we track progress. And we take some of the documentation you've talked about, John, like mm -hmm. if they're at this stage of change as evidenced by this type of language, you can do that with multiple target behaviors. Yes. And most of us deal with really complex mm -hmm. situations with individuals we work with. So, mm -hmm. and again, it's not a better or worse thing. I think they're, it really lends itself to how complex motivationaling is and how complex the individuals we work with mm -hmm. are mm -hmm. uh, in the different process too. Yeah. So. And, and I've got to see this firsthand uh, with you, Casey. Um, mm -hmm. When I got a shadow with Casey going to Seattle, uh, PACT and IDDT team, so interdual diagnosis, and what's PACT? Um, partial sort of community teams. Or teams, community okay, community. yeah. Which you want to talk about complex. From what I've learned, it's some of the most complex of the complex with using drugs of multiple kinds, maybe multiple mental health issues wow. and homelessness all happening at the same time, people uh, and, and, and just hallucinating or, or anything happening. And um, there's just so much complexity to that. I remember uh, you being in this meeting with this group in Seattle and you had this incredible framework you gave using the stages of change and thinking about um, as a stock exchange of, show, of yes, sorts. Yes. And this, I think, is so powerful if you start thinking of change over time. I haven't seen anything like this published, but I bring it up because it's incredible. If you, if you want to hear more about it, we can do a webinar or something on it. But I think for really complex situations like that, when you looked at long-term change with right. with multiple comorbidities and all that six months a year two years and just the stages of change difference kind of popping up and popping down but where's the general trend that was really really powerful powerful to think about that they might do something different with their um, certain drug use but maybe they take up smoking instead so they've shifted stages of change in different ways to cope you know or there's and, and it just really helps give a visual and how you help them along towards possible possible happier and healthier well and, and again it just continues to reinforce the complexity of individuals we work with and it's not it would be beautiful as a linear process but it's so much more dimensional than that and I think when you take the axes of well that in that was out of integrated dual diagnosis treatment, um, IDDT, when you're working with folk Korean mental health and addiction. And they talk about stages of treatment. And it was interesting when I was first learning it because in some of the ways it was taught, they were, again, they were doing a lot of overlap between stages of change and stages of treatment. Um, and stages of treatment was something that was really specific to integrated dual diagnosis treatment, mm -hmm. which means that for Tim, since you've never been exposed to it before, it was... Um, when you're working with populations that are really complex and have basically they they get tossed out of systems because they have so much complex issues mm -hmm. that and we're used to like so in behavioral health we're used to somebody coming into outpatient treatment or inpatient treatment and they come in every week yeah when you have somebody that has major mental illness lots of addiction issues lots of incarceration and this is these are issues they've been wrestling with for years or decades they don't show up for appointments outpatient or they miss groups mm -hmm. and they don't do the things that other people might be able to do on a regular basis so this model another evidence-based model that came out is well you're expecting them to do something that they can't do they're not going to come to group every week so what they did is they broke it into stages of treatment so if you can even get them to come in over the course of six months just think for a six-month period of time if they don't mind wandering into your office and over the course of six months, that's your only goal. Yeah, that's a more realistic target behavior. Yeah, that makes sense. That, that makes way more sense for them too. And then from six months to twelve months, for that next six month period of time, 
all you do is you drop pebbles on their ambivalence yeah. over the course of six months. So it's a different way of looking at it mm -hmm. in terms of how do we shift. And what I was doing was overlaying stages of change, which, you know, you may be somebody that's struggling, and the third week you and I are talking together, you say, yeah, I want to go to inpatient treatment. And traditionally, I get really excited and get you uh, a bed date so you can go into inpatient treatment, and then I don't see you for two months, you just go underground. So instead of feeling like you just backslid, you're still in that six-month window of going, oh, the fact she said that and she went into preparation yeah. was fantastic. But there's also a probability that she may backslide in her thought process because that's what she's been struggling with chronically for you know, two decades now, yeah. for 20 years. So instead of it being, okay, everything's lost ground, it's like, no, the fact she came in and asked for it is progress. Yeah. So she, she adjusted her stage of change, but she's still in this kind of pre-contemplative pre early engagement stage of treatment. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So what John was talking about is any given day the stock market, your stock's going to change. Yeah. Your stage of change. Can, but what's the trend line over the course of that six months, which means now what's happening is you're more and more interested near the end of the six months of going, you're coming to groups more often. Yeah. You're doing th and that's more of a realistic expectation for somebody with really complex issues. Well, but I also think, sorry, I'm, that also makes me just think in general, <clears throat> how much easier it is to make changes if we think of it like a, a stock exchange. Because mm -hmm, exactly. I think of, again, I struggle with exercising, but if I don't look at the fact that I haven't really exercised for the last month now, <laughs> yeah. but, but you know, overall the trend has been upward, you mm -hmm. feel so much more better and motivated yes. versus just going, oh man, I haven't done it. So that's just a better way. I, I, I really like that analogy. It does. And so you look at this, and this takes a complex issue there, yeah. because then you can take stages of treatment, stages of change, and then types of talk, and yeah. all of a sudden you are in a fluid dynamic. I think it's hard for our brain to grasp all those constructs, Yeah. but when you do start to integrate them in your own thought process, your capacity to truly serve every individual, every individual that you work with, since they're all individuals, then you have so much more flexibility and it doesn't feel so prepackaged or programmatic. Mm -hmm. It really is a method of communication in the moment where we have a mindful strategy. We can be thinking on, on multi-dimensional multi approaches mm -hmm. um, with different ways to assess and intervene. And so, so again, this is the, <laughs> the diving deep on stages of change and, and why is it in favor or out of favor in motivational interviewing. Yeah. This gives more of a contextual way of looking at if it's a complex issue, the better we can assess and the more accurate information we have to intervene strategically, it gives us a more comprehensive model. So, so that's why at IFIOC we still lean pretty heavily into making sure people have that as an assessment. And, and the thing I always go back to is stages of change, really straightforward. You can teach that quickly. People get, they kind of nod their heads going, this makes sense. It's just, it's just common sense. Yeah. There's just words now to things that we can see that happens. When you get into types of talk, that takes a while for people to grasp that. And we, we've talked about it before when we were developing the MICA, the Motivational Competency Assessment, Dr. Susan Butterworth, she said, mastering strategically responding types of talk, in her estimation, is the most complex thing to master in motivational interviewing. Mm -hmm. Knowing when to shift gears, how to respond, takes a lot of brain power. So yeah. I think for the naive brain, it is it does give them an easier structure to, to grasp mm -hmm. with stages of change first. Well, There's and a, my thought too is I was just talking to someone recently, and he's in like the healthcare industry, and he was talking about how he had some exposure to MI and all this type of stuff, and he was talking about their doctor's visits. And sometimes people will come in, you know, and, and 
they're trying to talk about not smoking and they're trying to talk about healthier lifestyle choices and all this stuff. And as he was talking about this, I was like, you know, if you just use MI during this conversation, it's going to be a good conversation yes. without a doubt. But I was like, just being able to recognize their stage of change on top of that yes. takes that skill just one level further yes. because now you're, you're going, okay, again, my goal is not necessarily to get them to sign up to stop smoking today. My goal is just to bring their awareness a little bit more around that. So then maybe the second or third visit with them that they come to me, we can actually talk about that. Mm -hmm. So that was a, yeah, little aha moment <laughs> as we were talking. Well, as you're talking about that too, Tammy, the thing that I think of, the, the analogy that I use with Traditionally, when we think of MI, it's you're dealing with people that are struggling with ambivalence yeah. or, you know, there's some resistance, but usually it's an internal ambivalence that's going on. Mm -hmm. And the analogy that I use that, that works, you can use it with types of talk, but conceptually it works even better with stages of change, is they say if somebody is stuck in the snow, in a snow ditch, and there's times, so, and, and basically if their wheels are trying to move, there's ambivalence going on. Mm -hmm. If they're trying to get unstuck out of the ditch. Mm -hmm. And what we can do is we can go deep into empathy to rock them one direction. Yeah. Because it's that one side of the contemplation of the ambivalence piece and then try to move with change talk to the other side. Mm -hmm. So so thinking about that they're in contemplation or ambivalent about that, that we're rocking the language, you see how those two models fit together really well. Yeah. Because they are stuck. There is ambivalence going on. Mm -hmm. And you can talk about, so we're gonna go deep into sustained talk but it's to express empathy because they are contemplative at least. You, mm -hmm. want to, you want to explore and expand that ambivalence to ultimately rock the car back with the gas pedal and change talk to get up onto the road and to commitment talk and moving forward. Mm -hmm. So again, we can talk about that exclusively with just types of language, mm -hmm. but conceptually it makes so much more sense to step back and just go, I can see why they keep kind of vacillating between contemplation and also they drift back into pre-contemplation. Yeah. And so I think it just is easier to grasp those concepts from again, a multi-dimensional perspective from the intervention side. And being new to it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and this brings it back to, to two, well, one point that we talked about earlier and a new one that came to mind around this is just the aspect of really thinking, okay, how does it align with MI, right? And if it helps people make this a more fluid process of, oh, I know that them hemming and hawing or feeling, gosh, I'm not sure, and they don't know what type of language that is, but if they can recognize conceptually, I get that they're thinking, they're contemplating. Yes. That's a different way to be thinking about another person's reality. Because mm -hmm. the second point here is what's implied in stages right. of change that's different than ORs or some of the other acronyms is I'm not thinking about what's the thing I'm doing to this person or for them. I'm thinking where are they at? Which mm -hmm. is this natural curiosity that Bill Miller and others will talk about with MI. And for where? me, that's the assessment piece. Mm -hmm. So I mean, keep going, but I mean, yeah, that's yeah. literally your assessing, which is different than the intervention. Exactly, which, which is stages of change, right. which is types of talk. But when I, when I do that, I'm really just very much trying to get into where are they? I'm, I'm getting a sense of where they are, not what I'm doing to or for them right now, that can be, as you were talking about, Tammy, just a shift for people to start doing that as yeah. their first step. So yeah. if that's you and you're a professional, maybe that's your first step with, with your MI. If even in your personal life, you tend to get a lot of yeah buts or someone kind of uh, push back when you, you might bring up information, that might be some feedback to go, huh, I might be mismatching where they're at. Because another thing we haven't really talked about is just you're gonna, they're gonna teach you, this is classic in MI, but if you're mismatching where they're at, 
you're likely going to be getting pushback. And so it's, and the intensity at which you feel that, it's probably an indicator of how attached you are yes. to getting them to see or having that awareness or that insight. And when you're more attached than them, it's hard to really match them where they're at because you're more in your head and your reality than where they're at and guiding that possibility along. So there is this assessment and then there's an intervention. But if you're so focused on the intervention, you're gonna lose really matching where they're at and the efficiency and effectiveness yeah. of what your MI could be. You know, and, and as you're talking about it, what, what stood out me, to me as well too, is that when you're talking about, it seems like they're struggling with something or the yeah buts going on. The earlier learner can go, I think that's contemplation. I know that they're thinking about it, they're not sure what they're gonna do. And then because we teach it this way, the next thing their brain fires and does is goes, there's gotta be change talk somewhere then. And I think that makes it like, okay, I understand there's contemplation. Mm -hmm. I, I know there's sustained talk, which means there's gotta be change talk to be found here. Mm -hmm. And I think that process is an easier learning curve to understand or to just default back to, they're feeling two ways to go about it. I think I'm gonna do a double-sided reflection. Mm -hmm. So even if they're not tracking language, which again, takes a while to, to get that type of language assessed and responded to, it does give you more of a, um, a stable platform to, to land on and just go, okay, I know they're ambivalent, they're feeling two ways about it, I can go higher in empathy or I can start to move towards change in their language. And, mm -hmm. and that just starts to, again, go back to a reset button instead of going, I don't know if that's change talk or sustained talk, I don't know if that's resistance talk. The thing that I'll, which is always our reset button, it doesn't mean because this is the way we train it that it makes it right or wrong. Mm -hmm. It's just this is we're talking about, why we see the efficacy of training it this way. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it doesn't mean it has to be taught in MI, but this is kind of our thought process about why bringing stages of change into the training, um, why we haven't jettisoned that and, and, and don't respond to that anymore, why we do keep it as a kind of an integral part of our of our strategy. Mm -hmm. Well, and the, and the anecdotal feedback that it does help. And, and for those that are interested in a visual of this, some, you know, some people like the, the visuals versus just the audio. I mean, we have a whole sheet we do, and I think that's in the, the silver membership it would be. Yes. But like, we, we take this idea, and it was Casey who uh, originated it, and then we've developed it more since then. But it's really almost like a flow chart. If they're here, these are the sorts of things you can be thinking about with, with empathy and direction, type of talk and then what's your intervention and it's mm -hmm. kind of this assessment intervention kind of based off of every statement sort of map that if you follow that map you're probably going to have a well-guided conversation right. based off of their stages of change as the core assessment at first and again someone might resonate more with types of talk or stage of but stages of change and, and types of talk are both assessments so which, yeah. which uh, it usually I've heard and gotten feedback from the why we do stages of change is stages of change is just an easier in. Yes. So then when that's an easier in, it makes the assessment a little bit easier, not so overwhelming. So yes. anyhow, if you're a visual person, there are options for that and our, our other tiers. But there, if you see that, it really helps to uh, make this flow chart make a lot more sense instead yes. of it being so conceptual to how we're talking about it. Now. Yes. So anything else that you had to add for personal professional use? of stages of change. No, I think that's that really is the the crux of there have been questions about hearing is stages of change MI? Why do you still teach stages of change? I mean this was the response to that since there was enough that came up relatively consistently about why do you still teach it and, and is it do you have to know stages of change to be able to do MI? So we teach because we think it's helpful for assessment. You do not need to know uh, stages of change to be able to do motivational interviewing. Um, 
understanding types of talk and strategically responding, you do need to know that. Um, so that's again why we distinguish between the two uh, in terms of what's integral to motivational interviewing. But then just that context as you're trying to build up the skill set, the knowledge base, um, that's part of our rationale for what we um, keep a part of our curriculum. So. Yeah. Well, and uh, there just continually is this sense of, of feedback that it's helpful. So that's just to answer it is it complements the learning of MI yes. and possibly enhances it yes. without it feeling so techniquey or yes. too difficult. And like whatever that. we can do to embrace this way of being in the world and treating other people that helps with change in the world, mm -hmm. why would we not try to, to yes. do that? So with that, it's been a helpful okay. conversation, expanded Good. a little more than we, we thought around yeah. stages of change. So hopefully it's been helpful for you. That's why we're here. Please let us know if we can expand on this or get into other concepts like the page we were talking about or or the, the uh, stock market example. We could do a yeah. whole webinar thing around that if that's Absolutely. something to think about, personal life exercise or professional life if you're into uh, those pack teams, whatever. So with that, we just want to end and say we are the communication solution that will change your world and that is our tagline that's what we're trying to do so reach out let Tammy know yep. got her email below yep. and uh, we will be in touch from here so thank you for your time thank Thanks. you